Malachi, beginning to read of verse 1 of chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send unto you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We know the Lord who is present will bless the reading of his own divine inspired word. And this evening we just want to speak on uh, the title that God is raising Elijah's up for an end time revival. God is raising Elijah's up for an end time revival. I believe in Malachi chapter 4, we're hearing of an end time revival. And there's been many revivals. We'll maybe mention some of them towards the end of the service. But I believe when we think of the United Kingdom and what it used to be, when we think of the revivals, we think of Ulster and even Ireland. I believe the Lord is going to raise up an Elijah company, an Elijah ministry. I believe it's already here. We just have to realize who we are in Christ and have to press in to what the Lord has for us to do in these last days that we're living in. Whenever I think of things like this, I think of the old uh, leader or, or founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth. You know what he said? He says, people are praying and asking for a move of God. He said, I am a move of God. I am a move of God. And when God's people, that is the blood washed, when God's people realize that within you dwells the Holy Spirit of God, and we have the authority of the word of God, when we realize and get to grips with it, then I believe this end time revival will increase. I can see uh, there are people in patches and places all over in these dark and dreadful days. We think of the way our government is at the moment. We think of Westminster in a mess, and we think of our own nation completely in a mess, Ulster in a mess, Ireland's in a mess, Europe's in a mess, America's in a mess. We think of the, the liberalization of all the laws that's happening. We think of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness that's happening in our nations. When I think of it, I'm saying, only but for the Lord doing something, it seems as though the church will die. It seems as though the church will fade away. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then the word of Christ, we can believe it. And in the word of Christ, we can take it. But it's time for us to step out, to stand up and to be counted. And we are the Elijah company when we grab hold of these things. I'm going to show you some Bible study tonight about this Elijah ministry. 
And I'm going to show you people thought it was John the Baptist and others. And, and we're going to look at that. What did Jesus say about it? What did John say about himself? And do they seem to contradict each other? Because they seem to in Scripture. But the Word of God does not contradict itself. And we're going to look at that this evening. First of all, revival is in verse 6. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And the heart of the children to their fathers. In other words, there's going to be a company that will eventually arise up. We're seeing our young people. We're seeing the teenagers especially. We're seeing the youths of today. And we're seeing it getting worse and worse where there are very few are interested in the things of God anymore. And Sunday schools have went on the decrease. Thank the Lord this morning, a wee girl gave her life to the Lord and Sunday school. Isn't that right, Helen? So another little guard comes and says, you wanted to get saved. The God would be dealing with this child, get saved in Sunday school. And they can point to your children over here and here, little boys and all who've got saved and teenagers here. But here's the thing. On the mass outside, our children are, are being programmed from a young age. They're being programmed through television and programmed through online systems and they're being programmed on their iPhones and what they see, what they watch, what they hear. They're being programmed and it's antichrist being programmed of worldliness and sin. They're being programmed where that which is unnatural is natural. And so to them in their brain, they think that we're crazy. Outdated is the Bible, and so they walk away from God, especially those who are going to universities now, finding that those that even grew up in uh, households of faith, including my own, when they get into the world, they struggle. When they go to universities, they many fall away. And we thank the Lord that there are some godly people there who can help them when they're there if they want to turn to them. But listen, during this, this life, this time that we are living in, we know with that, what we would call the signs of the times that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We know that surely the Lord is even at the doors. And from this ministry and others, but from this ministry, we're always get on about it because we're saying, get ready, get ready. And it seems as though Christ isn't coming and that we're a broken record here. But nevertheless, we'll keep on continuing on to proclaim the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because the word of God is true. It's forever settled in heaven. And the word of God tells us that one day he is returning and he's returning in power and great glory. The thing about this is he's not going to ask us what religion, denomination we came from, but whether we were saved or not, whether we were under the blood or not. The revival that we read off in verse 6 of our reading, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, we'll, we'll look back and we'll see the illustrious history, the glorious heritage that's in our land, that was in our nation, uh, from our, our very backgrounds, our biblical background, right through to recent history, how God moved in power and glory and blessed. And we will see that, uh, and they'll be turned again through this Elijah ministry. The Elijah ministry will also be that there'll be men and women, I believe, who will stand up and speak against the government and their unlawful deeds, their unrighteousness before Almighty God, without fear and without favor, they will stand like Elijah did before Ahab and Jezebel to the northern house of Israel and say, thus and thus saith the Lord. They'll be unashamed of the word and unafraid of what will be done to them. Ahab and Jezebel would have killed Elijah 
in a flash, but yet he knew God was on his side. And whether he kept his life or lost it, yet he deemed the riches of Christ far greater, so as did Moses at the days of the Pharaoh in Egypt. Believe that God is sifting his church. And what he's doing, he's searching the hearts of men and he's searching the hearts of women. And there's such trial happening in our Western church at this moment in time where uh, there's other churches and they're being slain for their faith as they did years ago in the West. But now we're finding that the church is coming under increasing pressure, pointing to increasing persecution. And through that, there's going to become fiery trials through the furnace for the church. And who will stand? Who will be left standing for Christ on that day? Brother, will you? It's all right to say, I'm a Christian, and it's okay to to say, I believe in Jesus, and sit at home and do nothing. It's all right whenever it comes a time when the church must stand up. Listen, the church has forgot to protest. That's where the word protestant comes from. The church has forgotten to protest. And there's going to come a time when the church... There's an elect company, I believe, coming. And Elijah ministry will be standing when they will protest against the ungodliness in the land. They will protest against the governments. They will protest against the legislation. They will protest against the laws that's being passed. And they will protest against that which is being preached from the pulpits, which is not from the word of God. I believe it. I believe it started. I believe it's coming I believe it will grow. I believe it. But those who stand out like the early reformers, be ready as it were to be burned at the stake. Oh, well, then I'll just not bother. Well, you're not into the Elijah company. Do you love him, brother? Do you love him, sister? I'm not talking about violence with people. I'm talking about standing up for the truth of the word being unashamed of Christ, being unafraid for his glory. This revival will turn our children back to the fathers. They'll go back to the prophets. They'll go back to the Old Testament scriptures. They'll come into the New Testament to the apostles. They'll go into the early church and they'll see how our fathers stood on this word. And they'll turn back to their heritage again. I believe it. I believe it's coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Revival, what is it? Really, when you think of it as revival is, is reviving something that was once alive and now dead. Revival is reviving something that was alive but is now dead. So I believe there's a revival coming of something that was alive. The church was alive. The church was alive in the land. The church was alive in the nation. And I believe that the church will be revived again. There will be a sifting and a shaking, but the church will revive to the glory of Christ and the land will be touched by the power thereof. Revival is to bring something from the dead. I've written a couple of uh, little things down that revival is uh, typified as in the original texts. Revival means to bring back the life. Revival means to give vigor. Church has lost its vigor, hasn't it? Church has lost its vigor. It means to bring back memory, believe it or not. 
to remember our fathers, to remember what they stood for, to remember what they believed in, to remember what they came through, to remember the Red Sea miracles, the walls of Jericho coming down, to remember the glorious moving of God across the land, the defeat of the enemy, to remember the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember the miraculous giftings in the church, and to start to seek the face of God for these things again. Listen, God hasn't changed. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, ye men and women of flesh, Jacob's seed, he says, you're just like twisters. He says, and you're not consumed because you're weak flesh and blood. He says, but I am the Lord and I have not changed. You know what's changed in our land? We have changed. The word of God hasn't changed. The God of the word hasn't changed. And the Lord of the word hasn't changed. And the word of the Lord hasn't changed. We have changed. We have drifted. We have moved away from that which was given to us, our heritage. And we have thrown it out. And we have compromised. And we have watered it down to suit the populace through fear of government because of legislation. And we find the church has no vigor. It's dying. Brothers and sisters, he hasn't changed. It's time for us to change. It's time for us. Our comforts, our comforts. Look, I know there's many churches, and this is not a boast nor a condemnation to others. I promise you it's not. I'm just telling it as it is. And it's for, I commend you folk. I commend you. There's churches now that don't even open on a Sunday night because there's no one turns up. Brothers and sisters, I thank God that this church is filled. That God has placed it in your heart. That God has put it in your mind. That God has stirred up your spirit. That the Holy Ghost is still alive in you to bring you out to hear his word. That you may go forth throughout the week charged for the week ahead. Charged with the glory of God through the word and the spirit. Brothers and sisters, we find here that this word for revival, it means to bring back a memory. Let's remember who went before us. Let's remember what God did before us. And he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Notice it also means recovery from languor. Who knows what languor means? Sorry, Tracy. It's a picture of the church. Oh, church tonight again. It's not true. Listen, listen. Church should be the first thing in your mind. 
Why? You're not saved in church because it's there we charge the batteries. It's there we get together. It's there we worship the Lord. It's the day we set aside for his glory. And we move forward in the week through what we hear and what we learn in Jesus' name. And it's not just here. Church isn't the building. You are the church. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells and he lives and he abides in you. And you're all fitly framed together tonight because you've come into this place and and so the Lord comes to his temple. And we worship him in this temple. So we find it means recovery from languor. Oh God, will you touch your church from languoring? And from lingering with the world. Notice it means to bring back a man or a woman from neglect. Neglecting the scriptures. Neglecting the house of God. Neglecting the quiet place. Neglecting seeking his face. It means to bring back. There's an Elijah company he's going to call and there's if you could count in Northern Ireland the, uh, the amount of backsliders, you, you, you need to build a whole lot of new churches to house them in. It's going to call many sons and daughters back. You're going to go into the streets and you'll be preaching the word. You'll be hated on one side. And men and women will be dropping to their knees before God and the other. Called back to Christ. Called into the fold. You know what it means to be brought back from depression? The church has become depressed. The nation is depressed, doesn't it? it? The government would just depress you. But it's become depressed. The church is defeated. Do you see as a pastor the many times, not only here, but because we always try and, come on church, you can do this. But individually we all get down at times, but the church in general is becoming defeated. You go to Westminster and you see the, 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 the news and you see all those European Union flags and so many men with that big loud healer. Stop Brexit! You know, don't you? You hear it all over. Stop Brexit! You know, and they're trying to enter. I, I often wonder why, why would you interview someone there? It's not true. I was even thinking of interviewing someone there. Anyhow, how many do you see from all of England, from about 10 million from the suburbs and surrounding city of London, how many Christians are standing there proclaiming Christ? Don't hear any. You don't hear one. Because they're dying. The church is defeated. Listen, Christ is coming back, not for a defeated church. He's coming back for a victorious church. He's coming back for a victorious bride. It means to give performance, to revive interest in again, to bring to one's attention. But listen, it means to awaken the nation. Oh, Father, will you awaken our nations tonight? Will you awaken England and Scotland? 
Will you awaken Wales and Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland? Will you awaken the United States and Canada? Will you awaken them, O God? Will you awaken the nations, O God, around the world? South Africa and, and Australia and New Zealand to the far side. O God, will you awaken us again? For we're dying. For we're dying. When Malachi speaks this, when Malachi speaks this word about the coming of Elijah the prophet, 400 years pass. Now I know in older Bibles, because uh, just in case someone online says, oh, you forgot. Even the Protestants had the Apocrypha in the middle before they took it out and all this. I know all that. Don't need to tell me all that. But the Apocrypha, we don't claim it to be inspired, so it's not there. Maybe historically Okay. In parts, 400 years has passed. From Malachi wrote this through the anointing of the Spirit. 400 years from God last spoke. And why am I pointing that out? This is what you need to think and remember. What if God stopped speaking for 400 years? What is that like? Can you imagine 400 years? We're waiting for Elijah to come. We're waiting for Elijah the prophet to come. We're waiting for Elijah the prophet to come. And people are saying, Elijah the prophet. See, Elijah the prophet was a prophet to the northern ten tribe house of Israel. He wasn't to the south. He was to the northern kingdom. That's why he went before uh, Jezebel and Ahab the king there. And down, down, down in the southern kingdom, you had the, the king in Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat was there at the time in Jerusalem as well and other kings, but around that time. And Elijah went right up into him as, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. There should be not reign or due these years according to my word. And Malachi says, there's going to come another company like that again, or Elijah's coming. 400 years pass and there's no sign of him. 400 years pass, and it seems the Lord is silent. I want to tell you something. See, since we have had this wonderful book in our hands, every time I open that, God speaks to me. There's no reason for the United Kingdom and Ireland, the United States and Canada and so on. There's no reason for the house of Israel to hear that God has been silent. He speaks through this word. He gave us his word to read and to preach. And it's through this word that men and women, that souls are saved, that the heart of the fathers are turned back to their children and the children to their fathers. It's through this word here. It's not through the gimmick. It's not through the program. It's not even through the coffee morning. 
All these things may be helpful for fellowship. It's not through all of those. The apostles didn't go out and start to teach and to preach with little diagrams and graphs and do little plays. They went out and they preached the word with power. And that saved the souls of men and women. This is what Britain, this is what Ulster, this is what Ireland, this is what we need, is preachers to preach the word. Unafraid and unashamed of Christ and his glory and his cross. I better get into my message because I haven't even started the first line yet. Now I have to preach in another meeting, so I have to leave here as soon as this is over, so you're, you're okay tonight, but it won't be that long. Brothers and sisters, we want to look at this. Look at what our reading says here. It says here, verse 1, For behold, the day cometh, it shall burn as an oven. Now that hasn't come yet, isn't that right? It's the coming of the Lord, it hasn't come yet. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. All the unsaved and all the ungodliness that you're afraid of. All those you're afraid of falling out with you. All of them will burn like stubble. We don't delight in that. We want to see them saved. Notice. So, and then it says, on the day that cometh shall burn them up. Saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, shall be totally wiped out. In other words, taken up, they'll have no posterity left. This day is the day of days. This day is the great and dreadful day. This day is the day above all days at the coming of the Lord. So now you can see, let's get this in, 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 uh, in a sort of an order here. So, Malachi saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. People, do you fear the Lord? This is what's coming. Can you hear the word of the Lord? He's building them up to show them the Spirit through him is telling them and warning them. Building them. Can you hear from the Lord? Stay with me. Verse 5 says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now notice, verse 1, we have the day cometh. So Malachi said, the day is coming. Listen, and at this point, the house of Israel are gone. They're totally gone. That's the northern kingdom. The ten tribe house of Israel are gone. According to Daniel, they're cast through all the countries where the Lord had scattered them, heading westward. Gone. Here he's speaking to Judah, the remnant that came out after Babylon with Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They come back and build the walls and the temple and all that sort of stuff. And now years later, he's saying this, the Lord's coming. Notice, the day cometh. And then he says in the same verse, the day that cometh, emphasizing, 
the day cometh, the day that cometh. That's where it goes. And then by the time he's talking about stubble and no root nor branch, Tell me, it's the verse 5. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that, listen, great and dreadful day of the Lord. The day cometh, the day that cometh, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. 400 years it's finished. I hope Elijah comes. I hope Elijah comes and preaches to our people. I hope Elijah comes and preaches to our nation. I hope Elijah comes 400 years and there was nothing. For 400 years. The word great here, it means great. It's, it's actually a Hebrew word called gadol. And it means it's something that's great in every sense and in every way. Okay? So whatever way you look at it, it's great. And it's dreadful. Today, like never before. For example, the Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, he gives the idea to the disciples at the time of what it will be like at his coming or before just proceeding his coming. Luke chapter 21, just verse 25 and 6, just for time's sake. You can read the chapter when you go home. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. Now notice this. And upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. See the word perplexity? It's a word aporia or aporia. Do you know what gives the idea of? The closest word that can be found to it is a French word that you'll be familiar with. It's the word cul-de-sac. Cul-de-sac. It means there'll be distress with perplexity. It gives the idea of no way out. Jesus is saying that the nations of the earth will get themselves into such a state they will be in perplexity There will be no way out. It's as though they've driven themselves into a cul-de-sac. Surely we're living in those days, aren't we? Look at the state of the United States at the moment. Look at the state of some of the laws being passed in Canada. A woman married her dog. Bestiality has been made legal. Watch pedophilia is going to be made illegal here. Now you watch this space. Men are attracted people. They're not. They're perverts. Notice this. The nations of the world, look at our government, the European Union. They don't know what to do. The governments are collapsing. They don't know where to turn to. They're in a a state of a quandary and it's going to get worse. I don't want to go into this. I'll do this another night sometime. But listen, we're going to look at how even with the European Union is going to fall. In fact, if you come to the town hall in Portadown on October the 17th, you made it. Is it the 17th, Glenn? Where are you? Yes. Yes. 
No, you are there, Glenn. We're going to do part two on it. It's going to fall. The Bible says Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. And this is all signs of the times Russia is preparing with China for war. They're going to come down upon the mountains of Israel. America have fought in almost every Arab nation trying to keep back the stem and the tide. And it's the Israel, uh, little Israeli nation. Uh, that's the whole concern of it all. It's the center of everything at the minute. Jesus says this will happen before that great day he returns. No way out. No way out. Notice what he says in verse 26. Men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. It's happening, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, if you followed the news, you could be so fearful. But when I follow the news, I'm rejoicing because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I know he is in charge, still on the throne. Notice in verse 27, he says, Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Isn't it marvelous? Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you're his? We can rejoice in the Lord tonight that we belong to Christ. I have to show you this before I close because time's flying and I've went off my notes and I'm just going to show you the main thrust of this and we'll see where we go with this. In verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What does he mean? Is it, or some people believe it's a resurrection around these last days of Elijah, the literal Elijah. I think that is wrong. I don't see, a, don't read of a resurrection before the resurrection. <laughs> I don't read that. We're going to look at the scriptures and see what this is. Verse 2, verse 2 shows us the first coming of Christ. For unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. In other words, you'll grow strong. Brothers and sisters, we're in that age of grace. We grow up and we grow strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The Son of Righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come. He's bled on Calvary's tree. He shed his precious blood. We're washed, we're cleansed, we're forgiven. We're filled and sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. And we're waiting in him returning. Let's be strong in the Lord. Grow up like a calf in the storm. Now, I am a Belfast boy. I don't even really know what that is. First time I went into a calf in a barn was when my father-in-law made me muck it out to see if it was worthy of his daughter or not. And the stink of it was absolutely terrible. This, Bel- this Belfast boy coming down and, the, and, and the, our dad says, oh, I need to get these cows mucked out. And I says, uh, and, and his son says, well, I'm going out, I can't do it. And I thought, I'll win him over, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I, I just dressed as per jeans as normal, you know. I'll do it. I come home on the hands me this big brush off with a big scraper. It was about that deep on a U-shape. And you start scraping it. Oh. (laughs) 
growing up like calves in the stall. These strong animals, these strong cows growing up, being fed in the stall. It's time the church was to grow up like this and grow up strong like calves in the stall. Will you turn with me to we close this on the Elijah ministry here? Uh, Will you turn with me, please, first of all, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And let's read just a few verses. Let your eye run down, please, to verse... Pardon me, Matthew 11. I've told you, John, pardon me. It's John that the Lord's speaking about, John the Baptist. Pardon me, Matthew 11. I thought it was wrong. And let's write run down to verse 11. Now notice this. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now take note of that. Than John the Baptist. <laughs> Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Now take note of this. We're speaking of you and I. This side of the cross, John the Baptist was post-Calvary, post-outpouring of the Holy Ghost, yet he was filled with us from his mother's womb. But the Lord says, even those who are the least in the kingdom is greater. Notice this, verse 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Notice, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Notice verse 14, very important, underline this. And if ye will receive it, that's very important now. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias or Elijah, which was for to come. Notice verse 15, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So notice, if you can receive it, if you have ears to hear, hear it. What do you mean to Jesus? John the Baptist is Elijah that was to come. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. Let's go to what John says then. Let your eye run down, please, to um, John chapter 1. Let's go to John. I'm trying to work through this because I went right off my notes. John chapter 1. And let your eye run down, please. Just to a couple of verses. To verse, for time's sake, 21. So the Jews are asking him a question. John the Baptist a question. And they asked, and he answered them, verse 21. What then? Art thou Elias or Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he said, and he answered, no. Now hold on a minute. Jesus said he was, and John said he wasn't. The Son of God, the man with the Spirit without measure, the Lord Jesus Christ said he was. John the Baptist, the man filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He says, no, I'm not. I'm not Elijah. Jesus says, you are. He says, no, I'm not. Contradiction of Scripture. Stay with me. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 1. To Luke chapter 1. And let your eye run down again to verse... 
This is Zacharias with Elizabeth and being told by the angel uh, that he, uh, his wife Elizabeth will be with child. Verse 15, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. This is John the Baptist speaking of. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now notice, and he shall go before him in the, in the what? The spirit and the power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Jesus got it right. John the Baptist got it right. He wasn't the literal Elijah. Jesus didn't mean that. He says, if you can receive this, we're going to show you something. If you can receive this, if you have ears to hear, he's Elijah. John the Baptist says, no, I'm not that Elijah, that prophet. But the angel said, he's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Isn't the word of God amazing? In other words, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He's going to have an attitude. He's going to have a character fashioned and formed by God himself. Like Elijah who stood before men and kings. And he's saying that same spirit, listen, brothers and sisters, is the spirit of the Lord that was raised up Jesus from the dead, is the same spirit of the Lord that is in you tonight. So the Elijah ministry, the Elijah prophet is already here. He just has to awaken. He has to believe in the word and be fearless for Christ. I believe there's been men in the past that's been like that. I believe there's been men who's seen revival because of taking the word of God and believed it. Turn with me, please, just quickly uh, to, I think it's John 6 off the top of my head. I'm just going to show you this one, just to cement this for you. So Jesus is saying, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. Verse 54, pardon me. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Then he says that uh, this is the bread of life. Let your eye run down. Please, the verse 66. From that time, many of disciples went back and walked no more with him. Because... You see, it was an abomination to drink blood. Jesus is telling us to break the law, commandments of God. Of course he's not. That's why there's no Roman mass. There's no such thing as the literal body and blood, sinews and divinity of Christ, or else he's breaking the law of God. Now notice this. Verse 67, many went back. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? If you were to go to verse 63, that's reverse. Notice what Jesus says about this 
It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Do you know what he's saying about the, the flesh and drink my blood? It's not literal. It's spirit. And what he's saying is, if ye can receive it, it's not me literally. Literal flesh or literal blood. If you can receive it, he says, it's in the spirit of it. It's the same way he's saying, if you can receive it, he's Elijah. Not literally, but in the spirit and power. He's with me. John did make the people ready. He was the forerunner of Christ. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Let me just throw some of these out here of revivals that happened in times past up to more recent and modern. Second Chronicles 29 and 30. You'll have to just mark it down, listen later, or read the scriptures. Second Chronicles 29 and 30. We have Hezekiah's revival of Judah, the southern kingdom. He was the king and he tore down all the idols. He started to re-put the doors back on the temple again and they had revival in Judah. And in a second Chronicles, chapter 35, Manasseh, the wicked king who brought heathenism and idolatry in, his son, uh, Josiah, eight years of age. Listen, eight years of age. That's why a wee girl came to faith to see this morning in Sunday school. We don't despise the children coming to faith in Christ. Not at all, not whatsoever. A wee boy at eight years of age called Josiah turned the nation of Judah around and brought revival to the land because he had a heart after God of his fathers. One little boy of eight. Church, what could we do? If we were to do the same. Judah had revival under Ezra and Nehemiah when they came out of Babylon. And then they they fell away again from God and they allowed the Babylonian Talmudism to come in and it destroyed it. It mongrelized and bastardized the word of God. And Jesus comes and he says, ye are of your father the devil and the works of your father you'll do. I wonder what he had said about Britain tonight. I wonder what he had said about the politicians. I wonder what he had said about the monarchy. I wonder what he had say about uh, the Anglican High Church. I wonder what he had say about the Archbishop of Canterbury, the way things are going. Man. I wonder what he had say about all of the movements. What would he say about you'll die? Nehemiah and Ezra had built the walls in the temple. Revival came. They separated the people off from all their peoples who would bring in their gods with them. And when Christ came, Matthew 10 and 6, and Matthew 15 and 24, he says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who was that? Those that had been scattered all those years ago. He went out seeking the sheep. You and I are a lot of lost sheep. And the gospel came to seek us out. God sent revival in the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Protestant Reformation was the greatest and biggest move of the Holy Spirit in the church 
from the day of Pentecost when he poured out his Spirit upon 120 in the upper room and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the church was thrown out the Holy Ghost. Pentecostals are thrown out the Holy Ghost. And they think playing the guitars and loud music and smoke machines and glitter balls and flashing lights and disco dancing and doing all these party tricks, they think, see how we're Pentecostal and this is the moving of the Holy Ghost. Never! The Holy Ghost comes in power and moves on a man and a woman. And when he comes, he changes lives. And he changes hearts. And he changes them on to Christ. The ecumenicalism movement, the man, Kenneth Copeland, that the whole, saying the Protestant Reformation was a great mistake and a spirit of division, not of God. He'll burn in hell. There were the Great Awakenings in Britain and America. We had George Whitfield preaching the election of God. Salvation by grace through faith. We had him preaching on the frequency of devout prayer and seeking the face of God, turning the nation back to him. The 18th century, these great men went and preached on. We had Jonathan Edwards in that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sure, you preach that now and people think you're just some They'll probably think I am tonight. They usually do anyhow. It doesn't really matter. They'll think I'm just some hard-headed do-lolly guy down in Guildford. They'll think I'm crazy. I'm too hard. Listen, brothers and sisters, I know where Christ saved me from. I know what he brought me from. And I know what he's given me to do. Notice Jonathan Edwards changed the face of eastern states of America especially. Second Awakening, 1789 to 1840, Charles Finney, Charles Hodge, Alexander and Thomas Campbell, then with D.L. Moody and all those revivalists started up. Britain, we had George Whitfield. We had John Wesley. Who can forget Charles Wesley and the wonderful hymns that were written to go along with Sankey over with D.L. Moody as well. We still singing them today. And God was bringing revival. They were, they were preaching sanctification from the world. You preach sanctification now and people run out of church because the church wants to be like the world. We had men like Joseph Parker, the great orator of London, along the time of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, George Muller and William Booth of the Salvation Army and Hudson Taylor. And listen, down in Dublin, Grattan Guinness, Henry Grattan Guinness, wonderful, wonderful evangelist, powerful speaker, went to the United States. He was mighty there. Went to Switzerland, done a great work there. Went to London, done another work there. And he changed half a Dublin at one time before, the, before uh, uh, Ireland was segregated or separated. Yes, by the way, get us, the other half of his family were breweries in the brewery business. You go to Trinity College in Dublin and there's a statue standing across the road from it to this day. You seen it, John? Yep. Brother John's from Dublin. He'll know it. 
Henry Grattan Guinness writing the books of prophecy that we use here on a, a, a mansion here, Light for the Last Days and the Approaching End of the Age, showing us before it happened the prophecies of Christ and the liberation of Jerusalem under General Allenby. He's the one who, who was shown, his works were shown to General Allenby by, by uh, uh, General Belvoir, or Belvoir it was. And he was saying, look, according to this man, Jerusalem's going to be liberated in 1917. This is the year. Everyone had failed. And he went, and the word of the Lord, he was like, and Elijah going forth in the power and the Spirit of God, a Christian general. And the Lord sent forth his power, and the city was liberated without a bomb being dropped, without a shot being fired. And the Turks dropped their weapons, and they surrendered to the little private in the army. The power of God, brothers and sisters, has never changed, does not diminish. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, we have changed. We have turned. We have become afraid. And we're languishing in our comfort. We'll only get more reverent a wee minute. Carried away there, didn't he? Feel a sense of spirit of God. Listen, see if I can't get excited, I don't expect you to get excited. If I don't be blessed and built up in the word, I can't expect you to either. We had Joseph Parker, Spurgeon, Muller, Booth, Hudson Taylor, Grattan, Gillis, and Ireland. We had the 1859 revival, 100,000 souls reaped into the kingdom. We had the 1904 Welsh revival over in America, 1900, and Topeka, Kansas. It wasn't Azusa Street that the Pentecostal movement started there. It was in Topeka, Kansas, five years before. And that was Charles Parham. I've been to his grave to have a look at it and got a wee photograph of it. Topeka, Kansas. We had the Welsh Revival, Evan Roberts, Don and Williams Jones, who started the Welsh Apostolic Movement in church. George and Stephen Jeffries of Elam and Bible Pattern. We had Reader Horace, who founded the Pentecostal Prayer League. We had W.P. Nicholson. Then we had revivals for the Isles of Lewis and the Hebrides. Duncan Campbell was there. Oh, brothers and sisters, he says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Listen, that great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming. Who is the Elijah? Who is the Elijah the prophet coming? You are. The Spirit of God in you is. You are with the authority of the word. Be bold and be strong. For the Lord thy God is with thee. You are the Elijah to the nation. Brothers and sisters, it's time to arise. Team, would you come up, please?